Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read a couple of verses from that text, which will be the focus or one of the focal points of the sermon today. From Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are from one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you receive our praises, our songs. We thank you that we sing our songs in and through Jesus, that Jesus sings praise to you in and through us. We pray as we look at uh, what Scripture teaches us about music and about singing, that you would raise our hearts and voices in joy and glad praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure all of you have had the experience of being swept away by music. Maybe it was at a concert. You knew you were going to be swept away. You were ready for it. Maybe Alexa suddenly started playing something while you were fixing dinner that you hadn't heard since you were 15, and you started dancing and singing along, because of course you still remember the words and the tune. Maybe you went to a concert expecting to hear one thing, and something brand new hit you, and your life was never the same. In moments when music strikes us and takes us over, it feels as if we are merging with the music. It's not like the music is out there and we're observers of it. We and the music are one. Music elevates everything it touches. Music fills a room. Music elevates our mood. Or, depending on the music, it can depress our mood. Music elevates and glorifies words. Even words that don't deserve to be elevated and glorified. I think every youth group leader in the country, every teacher at a summer camp has used the shtick of reading out the lyrics of some pop song in a dull monotone, trying to show the kids how stupid the lyrics are. And they're right. The lyrics are stupid. They're inane. They're trite. But you can go to summer camp, and the next time you hear the song with those words set to music, it's just entirely different. You forget, you forget the ponderous speech at summer camp, and you start singing along, you start dancing along with the tune, no matter how inane the words, something about the music and the words together elevates the words. We can hear the same lyrics to music, we melt. Music strikes us to the heart, it cuts to our soul. Is it not strange that sheep's guts should hail souls out of men's bodies? Says Benedict in Much Do About Nothing. Isn't it strange that music should have this effect on us? Why is that? I think music cuts to our soul. Music moves us because music moves God. God is a singer. God is musical. I want to say in the end that God is, we can properly say that God is music. Think of the voice of the Lord as it resounds in the Old Testament. The the voice of the Lord is like the sound of many waters. What does that sound like? We think really loud. 
Listen to the tide. It's not just loud. It's rhythmical. And it's resonant. And the voice of the Lord is like that. If you're a really skilled soprano, you can make a champagne glass shatter with a high note. But the voice of the Lord shatters trees, shatters the cedars of Lebanon. When the Lord speaks, when the Lord sings, the deer calve, pregnant animals give birth. Tell me when sopranos can do that, make, make, uh, make animals give birth. The Lord's voice does. The Lord sings for joy. When Israel is restored, when Jerusalem and Zion is restored, Jerusalem rejoices. But Zephaniah 3 says that the Lord himself exalts over his bride like a warrior over his rescued, like a bridegroom, like a warrior over his rescued bride. He exalts over her with shouts of joy. He rejoices over her with gladness. The Lord sings laments. Isaiah 5 is the song of the vineyard. And the song of the vineyard is about the love of the vineyard owner for his well-beloved vineyard, but it's also about the failure of the vineyard to produce the proper fruit. And it's the vineyard, the well-beloved's lament over the bad fruit that his vineyard produces. It's another, it's, it's like a country song. It's a sad love song. That's what the song of the vineyard is. Yahweh sings over Moab. Moab. Jeremiah 48, one of the most passionate passages in the Old Testament. And it's the Lord's lament over Moab, not even over Israel. I moan like flutes, he says, over Moab and over the cities of Moab. The Lord sings love songs. The Song of Songs is the most songest song in the Bible. Song of Songs is a superlative, like Holy of Holies, the most holy place. The most musical song in all the Bible is the Song of Songs, and it's a love song, ultimately a love song between Yahweh and his people. Ultimately, ultimately, a love song between Jesus Christ and his church. And given all the temple references that we have throughout the Song of Songs, it seems that Solomon was imagining the temple as a concert hall where Yahweh and his bride, bride sing a love duet. Or Yahweh as the bridegroom sings to Israel and Israel sings back. Yahweh is an instrumentalist with a preference for brass. When he comes to Sinai, there's a trumpet sound that becomes louder and louder and louder so that the people don't want to hear it anymore. It becomes too loud to hear, and they ask God to stop speaking. They ask God to stop playing his trumpet. Zechariah says, The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will blow the trumpet, and he will march in the storm winds of the south. The Lord is an instrumentalist as well as a singer. Yahweh likes music. He appreciates music. He assigns, he leads David to assign musical um, responsibilities to the priests and Levites. They form an orchestra and a choir in the temple. And when they sing and play their instruments and offer a sacrifice of praise that ascends to the Lord, the Lord applauds in the way only the Lord can do by sending fire from heaven and lighting the altar. That's in response to the singing of uh, the Levites and the playing on their instruments. 
Yahweh is a singer. And when we get to the New Testament, we find that the song of Yahweh is distributed among the persons of the Trinity. The Son is a singer. The Son sing, sings praises to His Father. We know that explicitly in the upper room, after He has instituted the supper, after His last Passover supper with His disciples, they sing a hymn, and they go out to the Mount of Olives where Jesus prays in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He joins His disciples in singing praise to His Father and theirs, their common Father. But we can imagine, it's certainly the case that Jesus sang through His entire life. He frequented the temple, especially in the last part of His life, and participated in the uh, worship of the temple. That would involve uh, singing of psalms. He participated in synagogue worship. We know He went to synagogues, and synagogues would have included some kind of musical worship. The Psalms are Jesus' own songs. The laments of the Psalms are His laments. The victory songs are His victory songs. His praise, His thanks. The wisdom Psalms express the wisdom that He is. The royal Psalms speak of the royal wedding, Psalm 45, that is the wedding of Jesus Christ and His church. These are His Psalms. You think He didn't sing them when He was here on earth? And He doesn't stop singing when He ascends to heaven. We celebrated uh, kind of a low-key way this year, but we celebrated Ascension Day on Thursday. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He has gone into heaven as our King. He's gone into heaven as our priest. He's gone into heaven with blood, not the blood of an animal, but His own blood. He's gone into the heavenly sanctuary, not an earthly sanctuary. He's a greater high priest, a greater Aaron. And in that heavenly sanctuary, Hebrews 2 says, he sings. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. We have a high priest who can be merciful and faithful to us. And among the things he does for and with us is to sing among his brethren. Jesus is singing as he's interceding before the Father now. The Son is giving praise to His Heavenly Father. He's not only a greater Aaron, He's a greater Asaph. Asaph, the great uh, psalm writer and the great uh, music leader of the temple. The Spirit is, as Jim Jordan likes to say, the music of God. The Spirit is the rhythm and gives the breath and the force to the Word that is the second person. The Spirit inspires music. When the Spirit falls on Saul, he prophesies. We might think that he's predicting the future, but prophesy is in the Old Testament is a word that often means to sing. First Chronicles 25.1 The Levites play their instruments in order to prophesy. Saul prophesying in the Spirit is Saul singing. He's certainly singing praise. He's declaring things, but he's declaring it musically. When Elisha wants to prophesy, he asks for a harpist to come and play a harp, and that brings the Spirit on him so that he can prophesy. 2 Kings 3. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul says. How? How be filled with the Spirit? You're filled with the Spirit so you can speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts, and giving thanks always to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's the effect of the Spirit. The Spirit inspires music. 
as He inspires all other artistic skills. The Spirit guides and inspires our music making. The Father sings His eternal Word, His eternal song, which is the second person, and He sings it in the music and by the breath of His Spirit. That triune song didn't start when God first uttered, let there be light, His first words at the creation. God has been singing, He's been musical from the beginning, from ages of ages unto ages of ages. This is the life of God. The Father singing His Word by the Spirit, and that same Word singing back to the singer, as our songs always do. Every time we sing, we're singing to ourselves, uh, if not to other people. The life of God is a musical life. We might say God is music. The triune God is a three-voiced fugue. The triune God is a three-voiced choir. That might seem a little odd and dangerous to start talking about God as music. Like we're using created things. Music is a created thing. It's vibrations in the air. That's all it is. How can we describe the living God in terms of these created things? Well, of course, the Bible does this all the time. God is a rock. God is a sun. God is a shield. The whole creation exists in order to manifest the glory of God. It exists as an image and manifestation of God. So, of course, we can talk about God using the uh, created things as our uh, language, providing our language. And we're doing the same thing when we talk about music. When we say God is music, we're using a created thing to describe God. And I think music is a particularly good image or metaphor to describe the inner life of God. Try to think about a visual or a spatial image of the Trinity. Water, right? It's a liquid. It's a solid. It's a gas. No, that's modalism. That's a heresy. The three-leaf clover, right? One stalk, three leaves. Well, no. That doesn't work either. Three people dancing together. No. They're three separate people. The dance kind of joins them, but they're still three separate people. Visual and spatial metaphors don't really work to talk about the Trinity, but think about music. Think about what happens when you play a chord. Can you still hear each note? Do the notes yet create something that isn't true of each individual note? Yes. Do the notes compete for your attention? No. Each note sounds through the other notes. Each note is enhanced by the notes that are around it. Each note glorifies each note. You play a chord, you play an individual note, and it fills the whole space. And you play a second one. It still fills the whole space without competing or fighting for space. You can't do that with spatial things. Music is, uh, the more you think about music, the more you think about the qualities of music, the more divine it seems, the more you seem to edge toward the glory and the life of God. Now, the reason for that, I think, is because God is the creator of music because he is himself eternal music. Well, that might be interesting or, I don't know, upsetting speculation. What does it have anything to do with us? Is it practical? I think it is. Because what it means is what Hebrews 2 says. It means that we are joined into the eternal song that is the Trinity. 
Jesus the Son is the chief singer of the congregation. He doesn't despise us. He doesn't, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not a prima donna who needs to be a soloist. Jesus is the chief singer in a congregation of singers. That's not metaphor. That's what happens every time we sing in church. Every time we praise praises to the Father, we are joining with the eternal song of the Son to the Father, which He offers in the breath and by the breath of the Spirit. Colossians 3, Paul says, Christ dwells in you like the Spirit dwells in us. What happens when Christ dwells in you? Well, the same thing that happens when the Spirit dwells in us. We erupt in song. Our hearts are filled with melodies. Christ sings through us, joins with us in song. Hebrews 2 is quoting from Psalm 22, the end of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, of course, begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Also words that Jesus spoke, but words that Jesus spoke alone on the cross. But he lives through Psalm 22, and he doesn't stay alone. And in his resurrection and in his ascension, and by the gift of his spirit, he's assembled and gathered a choir. And he sings in the midst of the choir. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. In the midst of the congregation, he sings praise. We shouldn't think of our singing at church as if we're down here and we're singing, trying to break through the sky to a distant God who can maybe hear us if he kind of uh, orally squints, comes, comes close, and pays cl- really close attention. Then he can kind of hear what we're doing. That's not the picture that we have in Hebrews 2. Rather, or, or Ephesians 5, where Paul talks about the Spirit working to, uh, to inspire a song in us. The picture instead is that we are, we are caught up into the song that is God. We're caught up into the song of the Son. We're caught up by the Spirit, by the rhythm of the Spirit, and we double the Son's praise of His Father. That's what happened a few minutes ago when we sang. It's what's going to happen in a few moments from now when we sing again. That's real. Every time we sing as a body We are singing as the body of Christ. Christ is singing through us, and we're caught up into the eternal music of the Trinity, the the eternal triune choir, the eternal three-voiced fugue. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. We thank you that he doesn't turn from us, but that he joins with us in song and allows us and inspires us by your spirit to join with him. We pray that we would sing our praises, that we would lift our voices uh, with joy and gladness, knowing that you hear us because you hear your son, knowing that the spirit is singing through us, resounding through us. We pray that we would sing with that confidence, with that trust, that we are joining with you and joining the eternal music that is you, that is your life. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.